Before we get started today, I just wanted to let you know about the new Thriving Three Counties Mastermind community. We're now open and active and accepting applications if you'd like to join. We get together on a regular basis and help each other with our business struggles, overcoming problems. We're a group of generous entrepreneurs that are all committed to helping each other learn, grow and develop so that we can all improve our business and subsequently our lives. So if you're interested, please uh, ping me a message at dan at danbarkerstudios.com and we'll have a chat. Cheers. Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. So if you've heard the story of me finding my niche in photography a number of years ago, you'll have heard about today's guest already. While battling myself trying to make the photography business work so I could leave my day job, I decided to ask on LinkedIn what struggles people had had when working with commercial photographers. He generously answered and even agreed to chat on the phone to talk me through his experiences. His response that day led me to pursuing a niche in photography and now video, which had a dramatic impact on my business and uh, my ability to uh, succeed with it, or start to succeed. (laughs) Now, four or five years later, we've become good friends, and having heard his story, I understand that this generous act of giving his time to me that day is something that comes naturally and is repeated often. He's an entrepreneur at heart, having set up his first business aged 16. Brought up on a family farm, he forged his path in agricultural consultancy and agronomy. His passion for the development of people led to the successful education training centre for young people, developed in 2009, which came about due to another one of his generous acts, this time trying to understand and help a young person who was causing trouble on the street outside his house. He has also undertaken property development projects and engaged in politics at local and national levels whilst developing a consultancy business working with a wide range of sectors. He founded his current business, Mountain Perspective, in 2015, blending business support and the outdoor environment. Today, Mountain Perspective fulfills a range of commercial contracts. He also works with several charities and social enterprises and is an enterprise ambassador for Hereford and Ludlow and North Shropshire College and an advisor for Young Enterprise. He holds a BSc in business management, teacher training qualification, and is currently studying for his master's in psychology. He is John Johnson. Hello, John. <laughs> Hello, Dan. Gosh, <laughs> I can go now, I think. You've said oh, it all. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to pass out. That's probably the longest uh, <laughs> intro that I've ever done, I think. But um, you've done a lot. So It appears that way, Dan. There's it a lot to put in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's... Um, it's actually a conscious like plan to try and tell people everything that you've done before. There's a, there's a uh, there's a podcast I listen a lot, or I used to listen more to. I still listen to a book called The Solopreneur. Yeah. And he calls it his eight mile technique. Okay. Because uh, I don't know if you know the film at the end of Eight Mile when Eminem's on stage. No. And he's got to win his, he's got to win this rap battle. Okay. 
and he basically takes all you know they sort of insult each yep. other basically yep. he basically insults himself the whole time and takes takes all the things that the other guy could say bad about him and okay. says it all yep. and then the other guy goes to go and Got nothing, nothing left to say, to say. So <laughs> I think the idea, the idea of uh, Mike O'Neill who runs that podcast is that if you sort of get tell the whole out. story then you don't get the guests just coming on and just telling Tell their story, story, but you get them sort of actually talking about some excellent other things. So, yeah, that's it. Brilliant. But yeah, uh, just before we get started, mountainperspective.co.uk. Indeed, yep. That's where people can go. That's where they can find us. Find out what you're what you're up to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Right. Where where where, where are we going to start? That's my question. Uh, Dan, I don't there's know. A, there's a lot to start with, but I think that thing of that, that time when. Uh, yeah, you, you answered that LinkedIn thing. I know that, that that probably didn't seem like a very big thing to you but at the time, but um, it was one of those moments for me that was like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's a moment. Yeah, and I think, I think Dan, and you, you quite rightly say, it's kind of that natural thing for me in terms of connecting with people. And I think yeah. when I review and reflect, as you do when you're asked to come on a podcast or do something like this, it does make you just reflect back. And I think... So much of what I do, really, you know, when we talk about what is success and what gets us up in the morning and what we enjoy to do, mm. for me, it is creating opportunities for people to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think when I look through business, right from that first business I set up when I was 16, that's so much of where the success has been is actually finding opportunities. So when I was mm-hmm. brought up on a family farm, as you mentioned, and when I was 16, I was kind of coming into that era where agriculture is one of the most dangerous industries in the UK. Mm. Uh, lots of deaths, lots of accidents. And so they were bringing in kind of legislation, certificates of competency, that kind of thing. Yeah. But there were a lot of older generation that got this grandfather's rights, which meant that they could do things without having a certificate. Oh, right. Okay. But what I could see was that there were a lot of people, my father's age at the time, which was kind of mid-50s at that point, who really didn't have the confidence. So they were using things like chainsaws and angle grinders. And having done all the training myself, I could see that they weren't confident. And so actually, quite often, they wouldn't do things because they hadn't got confidence. So I actually set up a training course uh, where I bought in um, trainers and examiners to work with um, older folk who had these grandfather's rights. And because I created a culture where they all connected and they all had a laugh because they were all in the same position, I found that people were just contacting me and (laughs) booking courses with me. Uh, Whereas... I have to be careful now because I'm still connected with the tech college. But at the time, for example, Home Lacey College just couldn't get those people on their books because it felt like quite a big thing going to do a course. So I kind of created this place where people would come to learn and get a qualification and get their certification from an examiner and they left much more confident. And I think right right back in those early days, that was something for me about education and training. Mm. But the reason I loved it was I loved to see people succeed. And I think when you refer to the incidents with the LinkedIn. I think that was the first LinkedIn post I'd ever actually responded to. (laughs) And it just happened to be that I was working with a manufacturing company at the time. And what I was really struggling with was getting the right photography because you can get any photographer to come in and take a photograph of an object, but actually somebody that understands the engineering behind it takes it from a very different angle. And that was what I was struggling with was I was working with, doing some marketing, a marketing project for this company. 
but the photography just felt flat. Mm-hmm. And actually, when I saw your post, that was why I responded because it was like actually somebody that really understood engineering, and I've seen that in so much of the work that you do now, is that actually you get it and you get the story and it's not yeah. just a photograph because you're an engineer. Yeah. And so I think for me that, you know, that's part of that success of talking to you was actually what is it that drives you and what is it you're trying to do? And it just mm. so happened that the two things fitted at the time. I think it was a coincidence and fluke done. It's not like I'm yeah, saying... No, I always keep meaning to ask you actually... Did, did you mention the thing about the engineering because you saw that I was in engineering? Or? No, because no, if you that, remember, we yeah. I then said, let's have a phone call. Yeah. Uh, and actually, it was only during that phone call, you I talked about the engineering situation. <laughs> you said, oh, well, I'm an aeronautical engineer by trade. <laughs> and, and for me, that was was one of those moments of like, well, actually, but if you've got a passion for photography and you can connect that into a niche, yeah, then yeah. I think there's something there. Yeah. Um, and it's happened with several other people. You know, I think connecting people and building networks and advising people to connect with the right people for what they need at the right time is really important. Mm. And that's a big part of what we do in the business in the consultancy world now. Um, Because, you know, there's other, if I wanted photos of houses done or styling done, Mm. then there's other people that I would go Mm. to because they've got a passion for that. So I think it is an eye for the niche and, and and it's that background education that you've got in engineering that allows you to see the products in a different way. And I think indeed you understand business in a different way as well because, you know, you you, learn, you look, I mean, I've heard the podcast and I've seen you working with clients and you look to understand. And when you try to understand the product and the thing that you're taking photographs and video of, that really comes through. Mm. Uh, I can't explain the psychology behind that, but I think it is having that innate um, understanding of what it is you're photographing. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Well, I mean, you say like it was a fluke and stuff, but I always think these things... You know, it's like the harder you work, the luckier you get, kind Absolutely. of thing. And like, you know, you you did the thing by making the comment, yeah. and it's not just a fluke, is it? Because yeah. you got to actually do. It. It's like when people say, you know, you were lucky to get this photograph. Yeah. You're like, well, I was yeah. lucky, but I was also there taking yeah, the photograph. Yeah, and, and I've heard you say that before in a podcast, which is partly why I thought I'd. Uh, I'd hammer it again, but I think <laughs> me. I think that I think you're absolutely right. There is something about being purposeful. I think the point was with that you hit a point, a pain point of mine at the time that I was trying to mm. solve for a client. Yeah, and therefore by bringing forward that pain point, it was in the front of my mind. So when I saw your LinkedIn post at that time, there was an obvious answer to give you, and that was yeah, yeah. a frustration. So. But yeah, I, I agree. You you put the you put the post out there, and I responded. And it, I guess, some of that is just coincidence. And, <laughs> and, and we have connected, and we've done quite a lot of stuff together since, which has been great. And we've we formed a great uh, friendship, which is is really nice. And you know, even that connecting into the thriving three counters and the things you're building there, it's a real passion of mine because again, it's just that connecting people, or training, and giving those opportunities for yeah, success. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Anyway, officially, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> so that the, that um, that training business that was when you were 16. You set that up. Yeah, when I wow. was 16. So I was actually at Home Lacey College at the time. Yeah. Um. So a tiny bit, and I feel like I have to explain it. Having listened to some of your other podcasts, because I went to school, failed at school, got right. three GCSEs, mm-hmm. 
uh, I wanted to go home and work on the family farm and build the business. And my father, who had been a farmer all of his life, but didn't want to be a farmer, he actually wanted to be a cabinet maker. Right. Um, but ended up being given the family farm and inherited it. So worked all of his life to pay his brothers and sisters off. Um, but had always wanted to do something different. And so my father, with wisdom, said, you're not coming home when I left school. He said, I want you to go and do further education. So I actually ended up going to Home Lacey College mm. and to do it, um, whatever it was in those days, some qualification in agriculture. <laughs> um, and in the first week of being there, they sat us all down and gave us a test. Right. And I was like, oh gosh, I thought it was a practical course. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they called me in about a week later and said, do you realize you're severely dyslexic? Right. And I'd gone throughout my whole school career uh, not really enjoying learning because I just didn't see it. And I used to say to my mum, everybody else sees this maths and English stuff and I just don't see it. I just, yeah, you know, yeah. I look at a book and I can't see it. So for me, actually, Home and AC College was a real turning point in my career because I found a way of learning and I enjoyed mm -hmm. learning at that point. But it was when I was there that I was doing all the health and safety qualifications and those kind of things. Right. And that, that's when I really kind of saw this opening. And it was my father, really, in many respects, bless him. He, uh, he'd do anything and you'd kind of look at it these days in terms of health and safety. And I think I am quite particular, so I like things to be done right. Yeah. And I like things, so health and safety is kind of a tick in my box. Um, and I think I'd, I'd look at what he was doing and I'd, but if I tried to get him to do a course at Home Lacey on his own, he would have totally resisted it. And I think that was where I saw the market opportunity of actually if I can do this in a different way and I could bring some of his friends in and I could bring other people his age, yeah. then that would be a real market opportunity. And it, and it really was. So people just came to the farm and they came into the workshop and we set it all up and they did all the training and they got the qualifications. But they didn't feel like they'd done a training course. They'd just yeah, come and had not... a day together. And we did, you know, even down to the point that when we're running events now, we think about the environment. So, you know, you put put a lunch on, put coffee and tea on, and you make it a fun day, a connection yeah. day, a socialising day, but then they learn something in the middle. And, yeah. uh, and that was the success of that business. And I mean, I think that ran for a couple of years. We did a number of, a number of uh, farmers in the local area will probably still remember their dads coming yeah. on courses <laughs> up, at, uh, up at the farm. So yeah, no, so that's where that started. Cool, cool, interesting. Mm. So, so yeah, so you're basically taking out the, for them to go to a, a, a college and do a course, they probably feel a bit like, you know, they don't want to be talked to by these kids kind of teaching them stuff that they've been doing all their lives but you've taken that element out and uh, yeah. made it accessible absolutely just giving them an opportunity in a working environment that they're used yeah, to yeah. So, yeah 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 same about your your dad like that's one thing i've learned i think over the last probably decade or something mm -hmm. as i've seen it more is that like inheriting farm or, or <laughs> anything actually isn't necessarily all that's uh, cracked no. up to be is it it comes with a lot of weight and uh it does, and, and I think, Dan, I guess it's, it is part of my story, um, that it is a big weight, and life is very short. Mm. And so if I roll on a little bit down my journey, um, when I just turned 20, I'd gone to university, got a degree in agriculture and business management, um, gone and got a postgraduate job down on the south coast in mm. Chichester, Thought my life was set up, met my wonderful wife down there, Gemma, and uh, thought everything was sorted. Got a consultancy job, you know, career in front of me. Um, and my father at the time, he'd actually just kind of retired. He was still farming, but he had retired. And uh, 
he'd worked all of his life, as I say, to kind of pay off mortgage and pay off other family members to be able to take on the farm. Mm. Uh, and two years after retiring, I dropped dead of asbestosis. Oh, wow. And so for me, that was a massive learning um, of actually you can do something and you can pursue something all of your life to get to a point where you retire and think, right, this is I'm going to do what I want to do. And he just started traveling the world and seeing things and visiting places that he'd always wanted to go and see mm. to then actually not really see any of that come to fruition mm. at mm. that point in his life where he had the money, he had the time, he had the experience mm. to go and do those things. And I think for me, it was a, it was very impacting um, yeah, to say, well, actually, do you know what? You've got to make the most out of every day in life. And I know yeah. a lot of people, and it's easy, you know, especially with things like we've just had with COVID, we take the opportunities to say, do you know what? It's really important to make the most out of every day. But I think sometimes in the decisions I've made in business and in the directions we've taken with family, uh, my own children, it, it's really important to think about what are we doing and not mm. getting too wrapped up in the everyday part of business. Um, mm. And yet, and I think just to add to that, I mean, my father passed away, my auntie passed away on the Thursday, my father passed away on the Saturday, and oh, my wow. grandfather passed away on the following Tuesday. Wow. So we had three major family traumas within a week. Yeah. Um, and as a 22-year-old at the time, it was a massive trauma. Mm. And I think it was a massive um, part of the direction of my career, really, because at that time I was living in Southampton. I commuted up and down. I, I worked five days up in, on the farm in Hereford. Mm. And then I went back at weekends down south. Um, and I did that for 12 months and then was like, actually, this just isn't viable. And that was yeah. when we made the decision to move back up to Hereford. Um, but I think... It takes a lot to get over that kind of trauma. I'm a very practical person, so I've always mm -hmm. been very practical. So if there's a problem and there's a solution to find, I'll find it. Mm -hmm. And I think I very much went into that groove during that time of like, right, this is what needs to be done. This, these are the solutions. Mm -hmm. This is what we've got to deliver. And, and we did that. Um, but it takes a lot of time. And I think I was thinking about it driving here today and it was one of those funny thoughts. That I was like, where's that come from? But I guess... I put it out there because I think people go through this trauma yeah. um, in business and in life. And it's really important to kind of say it's okay to be in that position and it's okay mm. to kind of take those curveballs in life and make sure that you reach out. And I guess I'll bring it back around, Dan, because as I said right at the beginning, a big part of what I do now is finding, creating opportunities, creating places for people to succeed. Mm -hmm. I think that quite often when people go through situations like that, especially trauma and family death, it's very hard to know where to turn and mm -hmm. it's very hard to know who to talk to, especially when you're trying to run a business and you've got teams that you're dealing with. And so a big part of our, a big part of our um, business now is we look at succession planning and continuity planning because, mm -hmm. again, that was something that we hadn't done as a right. family. We hadn't gotcha. thought about what will happen in the future you know, tax implications, all of these kind of things that come with running a business mm. that people don't think about. So it's led, even that situation has led into many different opportunities in many different areas that we will now talk to businesses about to make sure others have that support when they need mm. it. Mm. Yeah, well, that's quite a week. It was a big week. When you're 22, blimey, can't imagine. Um, 
Can I ask you about, because uh, you've probably told me about dyslexia yep. before, I can't remember, but can I ask you about that? Cause, of course you can. Like, you've probably also heard me harp on about things like this and my theories and stuff on yeah. this podcast before, but like, I, I, I get frustrated by the fact that they call it dyslexia because I don't like the dis part of it, because it seems to me that the people that like make, a lot of the time, the people that make an impact yep. and you know, see things differently to the yep. norm and actually do things that are sort of transformative, yep. have what people term dyslexia. Yep. And to me, it seems like actually it means that you don't fit into this, you know, education yeah. system and the way people want mm. people to be educated. But actually it's not a... I don't know that it's a disadvantage unless you're in that system. I, I think, Dan, it's interesting because I've listened to a few of your podcasts and... I know you've had quite a few entrepreneurs on here that I know and respect a lot that have talked about being dyslexic. Yeah. And I think to a certain degree, I think you're absolutely right. It's certainly not a disadvantage. I think I think the key for me was when I learned at Home Lacey College that I was so that I could do something with it. So I understood that I saw the world okay. differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also found different ways and theories of learning and realized mm. at that point that I enjoyed learning. I just mm. didn't see the world in the same way as everybody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, that then has gone on to be a real advantage. So I think when mm. you know it and you can deal with it, and I think, and I'll probably talk about the education centre later, because that was a part of the drive for me of developing the education centre, right. was I don't know that the education system does work necessarily. Right. And it was something that I tried to tackle uh, when I was involved in politics as well, is the fact that I, th- I think the reality is, Dan, I don't meet that many people that probably aren't on some form of spectrum. Yeah, that's it. Do you know what I mean? It's not not a binary thing, is it? No, and I think that to a certain degree, the whole thing with dyslexia was, I think, was probably in me kind of coming out of school, there seemed to be quite a big thing over the next 10 years of it all becoming, you know, this is what it is and this is the label that we're putting on it. Mm. But I think the reality is it's always been there. And when I look back at my father, you know, talking about him being a very practical person, but, you know, actually sitting in a college, you know, you say about that whole thing of him going to a college, it just would have been unnatural because that wasn't his learning environment. Mm. And he was severely dyslexic. And if he was tested now, but he went his whole life without knowing that. So I think I think in the past, because probably there were a lot more practical, physical jobs that people were doing it wasn't mm. so you know we weren't so focused on the academic mm-hmm. um but i think again when it comes to the academic element of it you, as you mentioned in the intro i'm now studying and doing a master's in psychology yeah. and i love learning and i love yeah. reading and i love listening to podcasts so i don't think it was a disadvantage at all i think the disadvantage was not knowing and not accepting it because I didn't know and mm-hmm. learning how to deal with it. So I think for me, anybody that I work with now, and I, you know, we did, we ran an education center, the outbase for, I think it was about five or six years. Uh, and we set that up. My wife's background was teaching. And as you picked up on the fact we had moved into Hereford, having come back up to the, from the fat for the family farm, uh, moved into a little place called, uh, Hampton Bishop and were told it was a really nice part of Hereford to live. <laughs> And uh, I was hanging the curtains up in my front room on the first day we'd bought this house. And uh, there was a lad trying to set fire to the bin outside. And I was like, oh, great, here we go. Um, And anyway, over a period of time, I got to know the family and he had ADHD. Mm -hmm. 
and he was really struggling in school. And I just said to him, you know, one day as I was going out to the farm, and I said to his mum, he was actually the same age as my stepson, and uh, I said, well, you know, I'm going out to the farm, taking Ben, do you want me to take him with me? And uh, she said, don't take him, he'll, he'll damage something. And I said, no, take, take him with me. And he came out, and uh, he basically sat on a round silage bale for about an hour and a half and watched some cows and calves. Right. And I took him back home and his mum rang me the next morning in tears and said, whatever you've got at that farm, bottle it and sell it. Because <laughs> it's the first time in about four years that he slept through the, through the night and not wet the bed. Wow. And for me, that was really impacting because it was like, there is an opportunity, there's another way of people learning. And, and that's where the education centre started. So we started yeah. from that point, taking that young lad on to kind of a half a million pound turnover business within 18 months where we were working with all the major high schools across Herefordshire delivering OCN qualifications to children that probably wouldn't have had an opportunity. Yeah. The reason that fits in with the dyslexia is most of those were labelled with something. Yeah. And I think that labels can do a lot of damage because it's mm. kind of almost an excuse. Mm. Whereas all of them were able to get qualifications just doing it in a different way. So we would do carpentry, we'd do small animal care, we'd do anything, bushcraft. I mean, I had my brother who's... A, a little bit wilder than me and he used to shoot rabbits and he'd take them and do bushcraft and they'd rip these rabbits <laughs> apart and cook rabbit curry and stuff. Uh, but they learned in a different way. Yeah. And I have to say, again, when it comes to success, some of those young people now who are now, you know, parents and working in Hereford and I see them and they've got jobs and I, that is a real motivator to me of actually mm. creating that opportunity for other people to be successful. Yeah. And I see that and that gives me real joy now. So yeah, the dyslexia thing, uh, it, it, it's there. It's how my head works. I've learned a lot more uh, through psychometrics, through training and development about how my head works, mm. what my character is, who I am. Mm. Uh, and that's now what I sell. Yeah, yeah. So it's more about sort of, yeah, understanding how you learn yep. rather than understanding it so you can give yourself a label and it, well you said like use it as an excuse I, yep. you know i don't know if, if, i can't say whether people do or not but i can understand where you're coming from yeah. uh i suppose it, can, it depends on the person probably doesn't it some will take it like that and others will yeah and i and i think it's hard, isn't it? Because if you don't know what's wrong and you don't take the time to understand it, then it does become an excuse because it's kind of, you know, I just don't yeah. work like that. And I think for me, probably all the way through school, and that's the reason I say it, there was an element of, I just don't get it. And that's an mm. excuse. Mm. And, it, and it wasn't until I found out why that it became a, well, okay, what do I do with it? And as soon as I had that opportunity to go, well, okay, this is how to deal with it, I was able to turn it into a positive. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's mm. like you take it, you either take it and you go, well, that's why I'm going to fail at school because mm. I'm yeah. different to this system and everything, yeah. or you take it like you did and say, okay, mm. now I understand that. Yep. How do I move forward? Yeah, it's mm. like the, is it that Einstein quote yeah. about fish climbing a tree and yeah. stuff? And, <laughs> and I, yeah, and I think part of that, Dan, is I think my encouragement now is I, I would never look at it as a failure. But I think if you looked at it in that way, it's about getting up and getting on again because it would have been easy for me to have left school and to have felt like, well, that's done and I'm just you know, never going to go back there. 
but it's about what you do. And it, and it comes back to your network. It comes back to those people you work with, you connect with, those that encourage you around, you know, of making sure that you get up and you run with the opportunities you've got. And I think that's, I think that's probably the difference. Mm. Um, but I think everybody has that opportunity to, to get up and run whatever their situation is. Is that something your, your dad encouraged in you then, do you think? Yeah, I think, it, yeah, he was, he was a massive impact on my life and a massive mentor to me. Um, and I think it was, a, yeah, I think his, his life story of having done something that he hadn't really wanted to do in his life mm. certainly had that impact on me and that influence on me that actually I'm going to do what I enjoy in life because I'm not going to spend all of this time. And so you mentioned that burden of taking on a family farm. Um, I broke that mould and mm. we actually dispersed most of the farm. My family still live at the farm and have some of the land. But I actually made a decision consciously that I was going to exit it altogether, which was, which in farming circles is a massive thing to have broken. Right, okay. Um, because it's not something traditionally anybody does. Yeah. So... Is that why he stuck with it, do you think? Because of that kind of social pressure? Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. You know, he was the youngest of five children and he wasn't expected to take the, fa the family farm. And then when his father passed away, it was handed down to him. And I think that was a massive pressure on his life, a massive mm. burden. Mm. 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 No, he enjoyed it. He had a great yeah. life doing it. He was a great businessman. He was very successful. But, yeah, I think he uh, could have enjoyed life a lot more if he had done what he had wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, mm. okay. So this second business then, the training centre, yep. like, sounds kind of... It's got similarities to the first one in that, well, a, that it's training, but more importantly, that you sort of spotted a, a real need yep. and and went about it that way. Yep. Um, and I think from what I know of like your you know story since then that that's how you've you've always operated. I think it is done, and I think if you want to bring it back to, I think that is part of my character. Mm -hmm. I think a part of the way my brain works is that I run at 100 miles an hour with lots of entrepreneurial ideas, mm. um, and then I build people around me to say, you know, how can we execute this and how can we make this happen? Mm -hmm. um, so, that, yeah, the, the education centre was an opportunity in the market. There were local authorities at the time were really struggling to know what to do. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the kind of special education needs market, and this, you know, this is back in 2009 then, so money was being pumped into these areas. Mm. But actually putting young people into non-mainstream education was very, very expensive. And so local authorities were kind of realising that budgets were disappearing and they mm. needed to do something about it and that's where I saw the gap was that actually we we've got something here we can provide something you know there were a lot of other providers at the time that were kind of doing day release things but because of Gemma's background in education we were like again I think it comes down to being a little bit of perfectionist and saying but if we do this how can we do it excellently mm. And so that's when we looked at, you know, how what do we need to do to become Ofsted registered? So actually, if we're going to provide a provision, we want to provide a provision that's of an education standard. So then what levels of qualifications can we offer? What's the highest level that we can... So can we get young people that are leaving, 
year 11 as it was at that point um can we then get them leaving with something that's equivalent to a GCSE? And that's when we found the OCN qualifications and developed right. all of our curriculum around that so that they could leave with something mm -hmm. that was equivalent to a GCSE. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was, again, just that striving for actually, let's not just provide a provision, but how can we make it the best that we possibly can? Mm -hmm. And we're... Where does money fit into this for you? Are you motivated by it or is it simply I want to do this thing to educate people and, and make a yeah. difference and I recognise that I need to make some money from it yeah. or is it more of a 50-50 balance? Or That's a really interesting question, Dan. And I think over, over time that has changed probably slightly. Right. So I think originally, um, no, when I was 16, it was all about making money, mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm honest. It was kind of like, actually, I can charge these guys 150 quid a shot. Yeah. I can pay the examiners X amount and I can make X amount of profit. And actually, yeah. that's a Saturday <laughs> sorted. And actually, I've got some beer money and this is awesome. So I think money was a driver, but it's fitting the two together. I think the education centre... I was actually uh, doing agronomy consultancy work in the agricultural market still when we started setting that up. Mm -hmm. And I think that was more of a heart passion of actually I can make a difference, I can make mm -hmm. an impact for these young people. But within six months of starting that uh, project and getting up and running and we converted an old chicken shed, um, which took several months and we actually got some funding from um, redundant building grant uh, that supported us from the council. So we had that kind of project going on, which kind of got me into the whole kind of property development side of things as well. But I think that was driven more by, actually, I could do something. So at that point, I was very much, well, I can do my consultancy's day job and pay the bills, but I could run this on the side, which will make a difference. And then it wasn't long into that that my business head kicked in and was kind of like, actually, there's enough need here and there's enough contract out there that I can make money out of this as well. Mm. And that was very successful. Um, and obviously, we built a business and we started employing people and we made money. Um, but I think, I think you're right in saying, I think it is a balance for me. It's not, I think there is a social element to it mm -hmm. that I understand from training, development and life that you need money, mm. but it's not the be all and end all as well. And mm -hmm. so I worked in sales for a small amount of time as a, as a postgraduate. And again, I was actually very successful in sales, not because I was a hard-nosed salesperson, but because I was trying to, again, find the place that I could help and support the need of the customer. Yeah. Um, and that meant that people kept coming and buying stuff off me a second time and a third time. Um, whereas some of my uh, colleagues at the time would go in for the one-off sale and not mm. build a relationship and then would get burnt when they tried to go back. And so I just learned that I could snaffle all of theirs as well if I built the relationship after they'd done the sale. Um, so I think, so I think for me, in terms of growing business, it became very evident. So in 2009, all of the funding started to get pulled from local authorities and put back into the budgets for schools. It was a, mm -hmm. a part of the administration at the time. And so at that point, I realized that actually a lot of the funding that we were getting was going to have to um, 
shift and we were going to have to do other things and that meant on the education centre we'd built running things like stag do and hen do's and bringing other forms of birthday parties anything to make money yeah. and that at that point from a business perspective i switched off because it was right. like that's not what i'm here for You're not i'm not a here at that yeah i'm not here to run something even if that was to sustain the education side of it that isn't what i want yeah. to do and so i sold out of the business at that point um how, how quickly did you realize that when you started bringing in these you know stag parties and birthday parties and things were you was it sort of like quite quick up yeah, I think do it for a while? I think as soon as the team that I had working with me at the time started talking about it and we started looking at the marketing and the kind of like, and we we ran several, that I was just like, this just doesn't fit. It, it was, And it was, I'm going to be honest, I think it was more of a gut feeling than a yeah. necessarily a head decision. It was just like, this isn't what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and if, if I'm not going to be able to fulfill with sole purpose what I'm intending to do, then I'm going to move on. And, and that was the decision we made. We we had had funding for some equipment and some bits and pieces. Um, and we gave all of that to another local charity that were working with young people. We fulfilled all the contracts that we had to fulfill. Mm. And then we just didn't pick any new contracts up. Right. And I think, but I think the honest, you know, coming back to that, um, three months after making that decision, I had a phone call from somebody in Gloucestershire County Council that asked me, how did you know? <laughs> and I said, how did I know what? And I said, how did you know the funding was all going to be pulled? And I said, I didn't know the funding was all going to be pulled. But the reality was that they shut everything down. And actually, had we have continued, we'd have probably ended up in a negative place financially yeah. that, rather than a positive place as we came out of it. So, yeah. Trust the gut. Trust, <laughs> trust the gut. I mean, it's not, it's not the best business consultancy advice I give now, but I think there is a big part of that. I think, I think you have to go with with your instinct sometimes and I think there is an element of and there's balance to that I think again and I think I've said it before it's about having the right people around you um, yeah. my wife is a great business person as well and I think we work a lot together we built the education centre together mm -hmm. and I think having that accountability and having that challenge and having those deep conversations to you know what does this look like and, and we saw mm. other people as well to make sure that the decisions we were making so I think that again that network which again come back to that whole thing that you're building I think it's really important to find those people that you can confide in and that you can have those open honest conversations with yeah who will tell you if you're mad and I know at, at the time <laughs> when I said I was going to shut it all down I remember my accountant uh, who will rem remain nameless uh, he was horrified because it was so successful. So on the yeah. balance sheet, it was so successful. But again, you know, six months later, he was kind of like, you made the right decision, so. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was it kind of like, I mean, you were obviously okay financially then, so it wasn't kind of like, oh, I need to keep this going because we, we need to keep paying the bills, like personally. Yeah, no, I mean... Were we you sort of staring down the abyss a little bit? No, <laughs> we, we were in quite a fortunate position in that at that time because it was based on, on the farm. Um, we were still, I was still farming, so I had an income from that side of things. Um, mm. The buildings that we had developed were able to be rented out, so there was still income. So it wasn't, it wasn't like just shutting down a business that, yeah. you know, that suddenly then you had nothing left because we had the assets and, the, yeah, and the, those right. things to live from. Um, and at that point, then I was kind of looking for the next thing. Uh, and, and if I'm honest, Dan, I guess going back then in this story, really, I think it was about that time. I think it was probably 
a good 10 years after my father passing away that I really truly got over that. I don't think right. I ever really grieved until that point. And I think it was actually as that business went that I was able to feel that release. Um, and that was the time that I decided actually I want to move away from the farm and I want to exit that life altogether. Right. Um, and we, we bought a property, uh, an old condemned um, school, uh, and we converted it to a house. So I then spent the next two years concentrating on uh, building the house uh, right. and enjoying that element. We had young children at that point. Um, and I think, again, that came into another, you know, when you look back on these things, so much of life is, you know, you listen to old people, don't you? And they they kind of say, you know, oh, if when I was your age, I'd realised. And I, I mean, I'm obviously getting old now because I start thinking that sometimes of like, <laughs> you know, you build your life, don't you? And you, you have, you know, if you have children, and you have different things, you have your mortgage and you, all these different things in life are the stages of life that you go through. And I think, again, at that point, we had young children and I was mm. kind of like, again, for me, but what is my vision? What, you know, I, it's great to... It's great to be a dad, but how do I want to bring my children up and what does that look like for me being mm -hmm. a dad and how mm -hmm. do I want to kind of be a role model to them? And and so, you know, that going alongside everything else that was going on, I think that was a great opportunity for me just to kind of sit back and go, do you know what, what am I building here? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm entering what my late thirties, what, what, what do I want this next stage to look like? And, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time, but the, so then we got into the house, um, I was twiddling my fingers a little bit and kind of wondering what to do. Uh, and that's when I got clobbered by my local MP who realised that I had a bit of time on my hands to say, <laughs> do you want to, you know, would you stand for election uh, in the next local elections in Herefordshire Council? Uh, of which I said yes. Um, and I ran the election. It was a horrible process because I'd never really sold myself. So right. that, uh, having to knock on people's doors and asking for votes was a bit random. Uh, <laughs> I was in a very strong seat where I was, so it didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of chance of winning. Uh, but I won, uh, yeah. and people voted for me, uh, and I became a local councillor, which again was a was a very interesting. Um, interesting part of my journey yeah yeah i bet as that i can imagine from what i've you know when i've worked with um councils and things <laughs> that going from running your own you know you know fairly small yep. nimble business yep. <laughs> to, to working within a council was that difficult it was i mean i think i think for me there's several elements to it i think because I like to make a difference, that's why I stood. Okay. Because I was like, actually, maybe I can go in and maybe I can make a difference. Mm. And I think one of, the, one of the learnings to that, Dan, that I think really impacted me was the fact that I saw the world through my lenses. Okay. And I expected that everybody else saw the world through my lenses. Okay. Really naive. And I know, I know to say that, but it's kind of like, but actually surely what we all want is to make things better for everybody. Yeah. And it wasn't long into it that I was like, not everybody sees the world like that. <laughs> um, and so I was a very optimistic young counsellor thinking, right, we're going to change this, we're going to change that. And then obviously you realise, and I guess more so later on when I got more involved in politics at a higher level, um, that actually there's massive strategic 
drivers that are in place that build the bureaucracy that everybody talks about. Mm -hmm. But you've got to have those things in place in society to make the whole thing work. Right, okay. So I loved it because there was this mix of kind of the big political games, Mm -hmm. the smaller local political games, and then the individual things. Um, And, you know, I have to say there were a lot of people and are a lot of people that work in local authorities that work very, very hard, that are very, very dedicated to what they do. Mm. But driving through and navigating through those strategic levels, I found absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I think in terms of the nimbleness compared to uh, running your own business, though, I did find and I got after, I think, three years, I kind of thought I've got to make a decision. I either go into politics and I go into politics or I um, I have to exit because actually trying to navigate the two of a commercial the commercial world and the political world uh, didn't sit glove in hand you know it, right. it, they just didn't go together and yeah. so I did find it quite difficult and that was at the point that I was then starting to run the mountain perspective and starting to build that and actually yeah. But a lot, again, a lot of dedicated time and a lot of effort. I mean, there were blood, sweat and tears that went into campaigns, that went into making difference. I was um, really passionate about young people and Mm -hmm. SEN and making sure that there were finances and I fought for quite a lot of Mm -hmm. that. Um, And so, yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. But I think for me, it was was very character building. And I don't, and I think it comes back to what you said about earlier on, you asked about the money drive. I think there was an element at that point in my life of thinking, do you know what? In business, we can have quite an impact if with our social corporate responsibility, if we drive things and put money in the right place and in the behind the right things. And actually, to a certain degree, that can almost have more impact than your local politics can right. on individuals' lives and individual spaces and places. So I think, again it was a big learning of, of how does all that work. And uh, mm. if you want to go into politics for money, don't do it on a local level. That would be my only <laughs> advice. Gotcha. I think it was the worst gotcha. money per hour if I broke it down really, yeah. that I've ever earned in my life. <laughs> so people don't do it for money. So, so Man's Perspective came out from when you were still in politics. Yeah. What was the... Can you, Tell us how okay. Mountain Perspective was sort of born. And- yeah, so Mountain Perspective, um, I think listeners probably want to go and get a cup of coffee halfway through this. Um, but Mountain <laughs> Perspective Mountain Perspective was born um, really from one of my employees actually went and worked for a company um, after we shut the education centre down. And they yeah. were having some, having some problems with their management structure. And uh, so they had said you should have a chat with my old boss, John. And uh, I was invited to go and have a cup of coffee. uh, And we went and had a cup of coffee and I listened and kind of with my business hat on and I went and met some of the team. And I just couldn't really put my finger on what was going on within the business and what was kind of creating this ceiling. And uh, so I just said to the guy one day, I said, "Um, I'm going for a walk up in the mountains next week. Do you you fancy coming? Because I knew he liked the outdoors. And so we... uh, went up in the mountains the next week. And then within 20 minutes of kind of walking up in the hills, he kind of said, uh, he started just talking about things that weren't about the business. And it was about personal things in life. Yeah. Um, And it was to do with things at home, with family, uh, with finances. 
and it all kind of came out and I was kind of like, you know, if I held a mirror up, you recognise that this is what's holding the business back from making decisions and being able to move forward. And for me, that was a bit of a eureka moment of, well, actually, there's something in this of taking people out of their normal environment. Um, and I think as consultants, it's so easy, you know, we'll sit in a boardroom or sit on teams now rather than the boardroom um, and we'll have conversations and we'll kind of try and take people through theories. And actually, I think for me, the realisation was actually it was just a personal conversation. It was a one to one. Yeah. It was a connection. And from that point, we actually still engage with that business today. Um, and it was coaching, mentoring. It was kind of supporting them through putting some systems and structures in place. But that was where Mountain Perspective was born, was I, I kind of got this vision of, well, actually, is there something about taking people out of their place, taking them up a mountain and giving them a fresh perspective? Mm. Um, and yeah, the rest, as they say, is kind of history, <laughs> but growing. Okay, okay. So, um, yeah, so that's the sort of premise of it but yep. I think you do a lot more around it now as well don't yep. you like the, the the mountain days but also I was going to say like having been up a mountain with you guys yep. as well like I can see how good it is and you know and it's it's kind of one of those things it's, it's kind of obvious in a way once you do it isn't yep. it that like yeah and that's that what that everybody help, says yeah you know and one of the, one of the people we went up with said that you know it was probably better than sitting in the office trying to think about you know, strategic things. For, yep. Just get out there and, and do that. Yep. Um, so, again, it's another sort of time when this opportunity has presented itself and you've spotted it and gone, yep. okay, hang on a sec, I think we could do something do with, with this. So what did you do after that initial um, client that you had? So I've, How did it grow? I think well, it, it grew very, very slowly and very, very organically where I just... So I guess I, my roots then went back to consultancy in terms of actually there's a service we can provide and there's something that we can offer to, to businesses here in terms of strategy and structure. Mm -hmm. So that was really my default mode, I guess. So then the mountain days were me just taking people up into the mountain every now and then and just making something nice of it. And we've taken, mm -hmm. taken all sorts of groups and had all sorts of conversations. But it you're right, it comes back to the fact that it's about getting out of where we are and thinking in a different way. And we mm. forget to do that, don't we? Yeah. We all do it. I do it, you know, every now and then Definitely. I'll take a day out on my own and we'll just take the dog and go for a walk in the hills. And I'm like, why don't I do this more often? Because it's always so <laughs> so useful. But I think time is so pressured. And so um, we, that was, it kind of halted really up until 12 months ago when I was like, actually, because there's got so much consultancy work to do, I'm not making the most of this. And so I've, I actually took on a guy, Dan Roberts, who now heads up the mountain days, the mountain experiences. Um, he used to work at Langorse as one of the managers there. Um, so he's now come on and he works with us full time. Mm -hmm. And we will run days for companies and we do uh, indoor climbing. So we'll do kind of team building sessions right through to two days up in the mountains and, and whole team building experiences. Um, and that's currently what we're growing and we're developing and we're we're pushing. And but you're obviously right, Dan. I mean, I've struggled with it slightly because from a marketing perspective, how do you sell something 
that until people have done it, they realize they need. <laughs> um, so we've done a video with you guys and that's great and we're releasing that on, onto the new website shortly. Um, and we are just trying to sell that story really. Of, But I think, again, coming back to COVID, um, psychological awareness and psychological health, we're thinking a lot more about what do we do, you know, hybrid working, teams coming together. So there seems to be a real opportunity for it and I guess that's a part of what we're trying to capture at the moment mm. is how do we... How do we sell that? Um, but we also don't want that to be a twee thing because it has to be something that people want to come and do. So it's not mm. your 80s team building type stuff. Yeah, yeah, You've got to be in the right mindset and the right place to want to do it. And then it's a journey. And so I've developed a model, the mountain model, because actually climbing a mountain is very much like growing a business. You know, mm. you have to plan, you have to think about where you want to go, what you're going to see. Um, you've got to then check the weather. You've got to make sure everything's in the right, you know, you've got all the equipment you need. Uh, you've got to do all your assessments. And then when you quite often go out with groups and you start the climb within about half an hour, somebody's <laughs> kind of going, oh, it's hurting or something's pulling or yeah, I haven't, haven't done this and my lungs are burning. Um, and and isn't, isn't running a business very much like that. Yeah, we yeah. go out with all that enthusiasm and gusto and then we kind of start and it's like, oh gosh, have we got this right? And you know, I say some of this on the video that we've done. It's, you know, and it's quite often when people kind of go, oh, I don't know if I can, I can do this, but it's about having that vision to get to the peak. And again, yeah. in our consultancy, that's a lot of what we do is help people through that. It's yeah. holding people to account. It's walking with people, making sure people do get to that first peak. They get to that first peak, they think is amazing. We have a lot of tears up on the mountains. People get yeah. quite emotional. And then we'll you know, we have to come down into the valley to get to the next peak often. So, mm. you know, we have to get back up and get going again and, and start to drive. And I think you and I talk about that in business quite a lot. You know, you get to a certain place and you think, yeah, we've hit the goals, we've hit the targets of what we wanted to do. And then you kind of got to go, right, how are we going to get to the next one? <laughs> you kind of almost, you almost have to go back to some of that simple stuff again and go, okay, right, we've got to get going again. We've got to sort the kit out, make sure everything's in order, yeah, make yeah, sure we're in the yeah. right place, ready to ascend the next one. Yeah, yeah. Another um, element of it that um, I was chatting to my coach about the other week was, you know, this idea of coming up with different ideas all the time and mm. the next kind of shiny object and, and, and that sort of thing. And mm. uh he pointed out to me that like when you've got an idea and it's in the ideas stage, like mm. going up the mountain, yep. it sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's going to be brilliant. We're going to go up the mountain. We're going to start this business. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. And uh, oh, this is the best idea ever. And he was saying to me at that point, it's got no resistance at all. Yep. So it's no <laughs> know, yep. everything's really easy and it's yep. brilliant. But yeah, once you start, and like you just said, the first sort of 50 meters or whatever, yep. when you start, that's when you start getting a bit of resistance to it. And that's when it's easy to stop and yep. go onto the next shiny object and think, oh, actually, maybe I'll start a business doing yep. this over here. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's so easy to do, isn't it? Because we, as humans, we want to take the line of least resistance. Um, and... Yeah, but you talk and listen to anybody that has had success in business mm. and it's the resistance that builds resilience. Yeah, yeah. That makes you drive harder. And I, and I think once you've got to a first peak, you want to go to the next one. Yeah, And yeah. I think once, you know, I think once you're in business and you know that, you know, you're going you're gonna to hit those times that are difficult and you're mm. going to hit those times that are hard, but it's that resilience that comes out of having pushed through it before. You know, and you grow muscles, don't you? You... Yeah, you you get muscle memory, and you know you remember. Okay, right, this is how it feels, and and you know you go again, and mm. you can 
get a lot higher and a lot further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That resistance thing's uh, interesting as well. I just finished reading uh, Success Habits by Napoleon Hill. Okay. Well, it's like um, he did a series of lectures years and years ago on a radio station and they found them right. not very long ago and transcribed them all into this book. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, he talks about, uh, like, that, that people shouldn't follow... You shouldn't be like a river because a river meanders and yep. takes the path of least resistance. We should yep. be doing the opposite, really, and uh, yeah. taking the hard route. <laughs> Straight lines. Yeah, Straight yeah, line. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so what does it mean to you to be thriving? Oh, great question, Dan. What does it mean to be thriving? I think, I think for me personally... Getting up in the morning, I love what we do. I love mm. the team we built. Uh, we've got a great team that works with us right now. That, again, everything I do in terms of leadership stuff is based on kind of the strengths-based model. Mm -hmm. So I've built a team of guys now that work to their strengths, mm -hmm. and I love that. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me in terms of thriving having that team that feel like they're hitting their goals, that know where they're going and what they're trying to achieve is that makes me feel like we're doing well. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I'm going to come back to your earlier question. I think money is a massive factor to that as well. Mm -hmm. In terms of I've spent lots of time, you know, when you talk about the education center and you, you've asked about some of those times and, you know, we did all right, but there were times when it was really tight, when it mm. was really, really tough, and you were kind of thinking, how are we going to make this work? <laughs> and I think for me now, to thrive is not being in that place. Yeah. So it's not about having lots of money, it's not about, but, it, but it's about managing that to a place that actually, I don't think, you, I don't function well in that place of panic. Mm-hmm. And so for me to thrive is to make sure that physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, I have all those things in check and in balance. Mm -hmm. And that's where thriving is for me. Nice. And if any one of those goes out of kilter, it's about pulling it back quite quickly and making sure that it's in order. Nice. I think my final point on that, which I think is a totally personal thing, yeah. uh, and you'll understand this with young children, Dan, is sleep. <laughs> rest is really important don't tell me to get sleep um, <laughs> rest rest is really important in whatever yeah, form yeah. that is yeah. and I think again if I was to look at the times where maybe we were successful but I didn't thrive was actually where I didn't rest enough right okay and that can be really hard when you're running business and yeah. you feel like you need to go 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 uh, and if you're not doing it who is doing it yeah. Um, but I think again, coming back to earlier, it's that whole thing that, you know, my wife used to say this to me a lot, still does probably, but the world won't stop if John stops. Yeah. And I think that was a big, you know, a big thing to learn is that actually we have to stop at times and we have to get that rest. So I know for me, that's one of those balances of thriving is if I'm not sleeping well, uh, then everything, everything else goes out of kilter. And so, uh, yeah, for me to thrive, I need to sleep. Okay, and that that's what you mean by rest, or you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a part of it, isn't it? You go and I do. think I think to a certain degree that balance of sleep is really important for me yeah. um, to allow myself to rest in other ways. 
Mm. So it's quite interesting. Um, so another part of Mountain Perspective is um, we've just bought in. Gemma is uh, running the psychometrics. Mm -hmm. So as a team the other day, we did the See Me psychometrics. And one of the things that I identified with my team was that actually my head runs at 100 miles an hour. Right. When most people get tired, their brains switch off. When mm. I get tired, my brain speeds up. And that right. might be an element of the dyslexia. I don't know what it is. Not quite worked that one out yet. But I speed up. So if I'm tired, actually things get more out of proportion and I get more thoughts and more ideas and more in intensity. Right. So that's the bit that I need to keep in balance. So for me to rest, I need to have slept, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that means that if I've got that balance right, I can switch off, I can have time with my children, I can put the phone down, I can leave everything behind. Mm. Uh, and I know when that's not in balance because I struggle to do that and I feel like everything's going to fall apart if I'm not there. Yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly uh, <laughs> where, you, where you're coming from. And I know um, you're, you're smiling at me there, Dan, because I do know, you know, I've got th had three young children. We had three under three at one point. Uh, and uh, it's hard work when you're trying to build business and you're... You know, you want to do the best by your partner. You want to do the best by the kids, but you're just exhausted. Yeah. And uh, again, it, it, it's a part of life. And I think that whole coming back to the mountains, that's where a lot of people have found that actually just taking a day out and booking a day, you know, yeah, is really important because it's quality focused time. That, yeah. That will, that to me, quite often people do rest from that because A, mm. they've been out in the fresh air, they've done some exercise, but mentally they've mental unclogged rest. themselves yeah. as well. So it gives yeah. that, yeah, that psychological download, which actually means that they feel so much better. So the amount of people that I've spoken to that are like, oh, I felt great the next day. Um, but for me, a lot of that is that psychological release so that they can just rest and be who they need to be. I think there's probably like a specialist area for people starting or running businesses who have young kids because sometimes <laughs> like when people when you hear those people like yeah sleep's really important you've got to make sure you get your yeah. eight hours you sometimes feel a bit like punching them yep because you're a bit like yeah I would but if I could getting, if getting woken up three times a night and you know and then and then at five o'clock in the morning and then also you know I felt it a bit when you, not I didn't want to punch you, but you know, when, when you said about uh, going, taking the day out to yep. go up the mountain, I'm a bit like, yeah, I definitely agree with that. But, mm. you know, my wife can't take the day out to go up the mountain. Mm. She's looking after the kids. If yep. I'm taking a day out, yep. I should be going and helping, you yep. know, helping with the kids. So I feel a bit sort of bad yeah. for yeah. doing that, you know. And I, and I think you're absolutely right. And, and Dan, I, I can say it because I reflect on it and my children are now older and they're independent and so I've come back to that place. Yeah. I think, and it, it's like we I said earlier, it's that kind of um, life's lessons and life cycles mm. of, I mean, I when I was in the council and we were I was starting a business and I had young children, I was run ragged most of the time, <laughs> you know, and and I but I'd recognise that you can't. It's hard to make good decisions at that time because you're not able to process in a full way, and mm. that's why I encourage people now in terms of those elements. But there are times in life that you just have to accept you can't do that. 
Yeah. And there are times in life where people won't come for a walk up in the mountains with us because mm. they haven't got the time and they can't make that time. And that's partly as a company, you know, it's not all about going up in the mountains. That's why we look at what else can we do to support people where they're at. Mm. Um, I would also encourage, though, that, you know, you can go for a walk out at lunchtime. You can just get out of the mm. office, move mm. away from the desk. That makes a massive difference. So it's not all about... Um, taking big days and making big steps. You know, mm. I really believe in that. But it's about those little things that you can do. Mm. And actually, I would go round to saying in terms of what you've just described, it is about maybe going for that walk and having that cup of coffee and being able just to take that time to you. Because I think when you have young children, there's so many pools on your life. Mm. But actually, what are you doing not, I'm not talking to you specifically, oh, but on, what are we doing? <laughs> what are you doing to make sure that you do have those moments in your day? Yeah. And what are you doing to make sure that your wife has those moments in her day? So are yeah. there, are we, are you taking those opportunities to go, do you know what, I am going to go and do something for, and, and release her to go and do something? Because that's really important. Mm. Um, and I know, you know, I think fair play to you guys and your homeschool. And so you guys don't get that switch off that some people do where, you know, children go to school and you have that time. And, and I think, but it is really important because if you're not here and you're not fit and healthy and well, mm. no one else is going to run your business for you. Nobody yeah, else is going to yeah, look yeah. after your family for you. No, that's true. And so it's, old, it's uh, that balance of well-being, isn't it? It's an old uh, oxygen mask yeah. principle, isn't it? Yeah, put, yeah. You, put yours on first before you yep. help the others yep. kind of thing. And, and, and so I think, you know, and I guess if anybody's listening to this and, and, and had the same kind of gut feeling that you had of like, well, that's a really nice idea, but how do I make that happen? I would say, well, just think about those small things and make them habits. Yeah. yeah. So that you can have those moments out. It's only got to be 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. You just have that piece. I mean, again, Dan, I mean, probably looking at me, I'm an ex-rugby player, so I'm not I'm, I'm not a small guy. But I took up Pilates a couple of years ago because um, my back was really playing up and I found it was the only thing that really worked. Yeah. And again, for me, that was a really random moment because we had young children, but me and my wife both, we got a babysitter and we both went to Pilates together. Mm. And just having that Tuesday night where we were just out for two hours mm. was transformational. <laughs> yeah. And I know that sounds silly, but because when you've got all the pressures of everything of just having that time. So I do really encourage that, even if you can't get out for the whole day and come up a mountain with us, then make sure you do make those times in your days yeah. and your weeks that you're purposefully having that downtime. Mm. Gosh, I've gone into psychology mode now, haven't I? <laughs> Well, cool. Thank you. We probably better uh, better wrap up. Okay. We've we've, uh, we've hit the hour and five minutes. Uh, Excellent, Mark. Which has been uh, a very good hour and five minutes, as I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. Been a long time coming. Getting you on. I've on avoided the, it for a long time, Dan. I know you've done well. <laughs> There's only so long you can avoid it for. <laughs> Thanks to uh, Dan and Paul for uh, pushing you. I think. Excellent. Is that right? That is that is correct. I think they did give me a little nudge that. Uh... And, I, and I can hear Paul's laugh now as I'm saying that in the back, <laughs> in the back of my head. Uh, so mountainperspective.co.uk. Yep. And on the LinkedIn, yep. Uh, come find you on there, John Johnson. Aren't many John Johnsons? There's around. not too many John Johnsons. John with J O N, not with a H, because I'm actually Jonathan. 
just to confuse Okay, it yeah, J-O-N. So just J-O-N, Johnson, Johnson, Johnson is, is J-O-H, with H, isn't it? Yeah, N-S-O-N, yeah. How come John Johnson then, I mean? I don't know, Dan. My father <laughs> was also called John Johnson. Was he? Yep. Oh, really? And he called me Jonathan Johnson. I just don't okay. think, I just don't think he could think of anything else. <laughs> so, anyway, maybe mum can answer that question at some well, point. Well, it's, it's quite, it's a memorable one. I mean, it you've only, only got to remember one name. So that's <laughs> good, isn't it? <laughs> cool nice one mate thank you very much thank you Dan no it's been great it has see you soon you've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me Dan Barker you can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast if you've enjoyed today's show please head over to iTunes and leave us a review it helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.